0: on the earth you shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree and you shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their asherim with fire you shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your contributions that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of the flock, And there you shall eat before the Lord, your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, in all that you undertake, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes, for you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God has given you. But when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God has is giving you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety, then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your contribution that you present, and all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants and your female servants and the Levite that is within your town, since he has no portion of inheritance with you, take care that you do not offer burnt offerings at any place that you see, but at the place that the Lord will choose in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings and there you shall do all that I am commanding you. The word of the Lord is eternal it stands firm in the heavens. By God the Holy Spirit working, it revives our souls. May he so work and revive our souls today. You may be seated. Today we're looking at worship. Dan read a passage from Acts chapter 2 that is a descriptive passage of how the New Testament church worshiped in the early days. As we come to this passage of scripture and as we look to God to teach us about worship, join me in prayer. Father, I ask you to attend to the preaching of your word. I ask you, O Heavenly Father, to enable me to be faithful. I ask you, O Heavenly Father, to enable us to be faithful as listeners and hearers of the word. We know that your word does not return void. We know that it does achieve its purpose. We know that you work in the hearts of your people applying your word, so We come with great expectation that you will so work in our hearts today. Bless us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I've been studying a little bit about cultural intelligence, CQ. According to Burns, Chapman, and Guthrie, cultural intelligence is defined in this way. It refers to the ability to function effectively across cultural contexts. So an important aspect of navigating a different culture is to understand that culture's do's and don'ts. So for example, some of us went down to Juarez, Mexico on a short-term mission trip this past summer, and we were given a list of do's and don'ts. When you go to worship on Sunday morning, which we did, do wear this and don't wear that. We want to be sensitive to that culture. So we normally speak about do's and don'ts to have cultural intelligence. Well, today, Moses flips the do's and the don'ts and talks about don'ts and do's, that we might have worship intelligence, WQ. Number one, the daunts of worship. Moses is pointing the second sermon, chapters 12 through chapters 27 of Deuteronomy. His point is to communicate to the new generation as they are poised to go in and take possession of the land. This is how you are to live when you go in to the land. And last week we looked at the fact that they were not to offer their sons and daughters as sacrifices to pagan deities. in chapter 18. So now we're going back at the very beginning. Moses starts out this second sermon. He says, These are the statutes, verse 1 these are the statutes and rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. And then he goes on in verses 2 through 14 by giving stipulations concerning how the Israelites were to worship. In the land. And he begins by giving the don'ts of worship. No, it's not a complicated word, it's just two letters. My little grandson the other day was right by Gigi, that's Renee, his grandmother, and that little finger was reaching to a photo album that was stacked. On top of other albums on our hearth, my little grandson, pointing to the photo album, said, No. (laughs) Right. No. (laughs) It's a simple word. But even adults have trouble obeying and understanding it. We have no trouble ignoring no. No. What part of no, one person said, don't you understand the N or the O? And so here Moses is helping the new generation understand the N and the O regarding worship. What, how they are not to worship when they go in to possess the land. No, don't worship like the pagan cultures. Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 4, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. Well, what does he mean by that way? He gives insight into what is meant by that way. In verses 2 through 3, that way means false worship. The new generation was not to worship like those pagan cultures. In fact, it's kind of interesting. Whenever you are given a don't, There are actually, I don't want to confuse anybody, but there are actually do's and don'ts. (laughs) Don't worship this way. And in order not to worship this way, this is what you're to do. And what does Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tell the Israelites, don't do X, but do this to accomplish don't doing X? He says this, verses 2 and 3. Totally destroy every vestige of false worship of the nations whom you shall dispossess, verse 2. They were to destroy the places of worship, verse 2. The mountains, the hills, and the places under the green trees. They were to destroy the artifacts of worship, the furnishings of worship. Verse 3, altars pillars, and asherim, and they were to destroy the idols of worship, even eradicating the names of the gods. Look at verse 3, images and names, kind of radical. Why? Why totally destroy every vestige of false worship in the land you will possess? my answer briefly is this the second commandment exodus 20 verses 4 through 6 you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth you shall not bow down to them or serve them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who I hate, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. That's why you totally destroy every vestige of false worship in the land. Now, why was it important for God to give the second commandment? One answer is that We are weak. And we are weak in at least four ways. First, we are weak in this way. We have a problem with autonomy. By nature, started in Genesis chapter 3 with Eve. Hey, you can be like God, Eve. You can be autonomous, Satan said. By nature, we seek life apart from God. Autonomy. In every area of our life, Get this, including worship. We have a tendency to want to be autonomous to worship God in a way that is right in our own eyes. All you have to do is go to Romans one chapter, or chapter one verses eighteen through thirty-two, where there God is ignored, even the testimony of God in creation, and man just simple, man's a worshiping being. And he worships in a way that suits him. We can ignore God's don'ts on worship and so easily go our own way. And just craft our worship service to fit what we think worship ought to be. So autonomy. Number two, idolatrous hearts. By nature our hearts are bent away from God. Again, consider Romans 1, 18 through 32, that their natural man creates, makes idols out of the things that God has created, and he worships them. He's an idolater at the very core. Our worship can be so man-centered, it can be so much about how to be a better friend, how to be a better employee, how to be a better this, that, or the other that there's hardly a mention of God. It's so man-focused. So we can worship ourselves in worship if we're not careful. Third, peer pressure. I may be pushing this a little bit, but what I mean by that is that by nature, we are so easily influenced by the world, by culture. Our culture can influence from how we dress to what we think about relationships and a host of other ways. And yes, culture can influence worship. We want to be what? Relevant. Fourth, the problem of syncretism. If You want to learn what syncretism is like, just (laughs) read the Old Testament read the kings Uh, read chronicles read scriptures that deal with that period of time of the divided monarchy where Israel worshiped Yahweh and they also brought in Baal worship and they tried at the least they tried to blend the two, syncretism taking two different things and blend, blending them together. And I would suggest to you that blended worship, syncretistic worship like that is just as bad, if not more destructive, than just outright false pagan worship. We can blend a little preaching with a little motivational speaking. We can blend a little praying with a little marketing. We can blend a lot of felt needs with a little or no mention of sins. Yes, we can be very syncretistic in our worship if we're not careful by taking what the world values and seeks and blending it. There's a price to pay for not heeding God's don'ts. We're not listening to God when he says no. Just flip ahead to chapter 16 verses 21 through the 7th verse of chapter 17. And specifically, Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 2 through 7, gives us the penalty for false worship. A man or a woman who is accused of worshiping falsely in any way and violating the stipulations that God sets forth in the second commandment and that, God, that Moses is... is showing us in chapter 12 as those who violate the the command regarding worship and other passages of scripture in the old testament if a person is accused of that on the evidence of two or three witnesses they were to be brought to the gate found guilty and stoned to death it's quite a penalty for false worship and what does it tell us? It tells us this, God is serious about his worship, God is serious about how he is worshiped. The penalty for false worship today is not stoning. But we are not to misunderstand. God is just as serious about his worship. May we endeavor to hear and understand, know both the N and the O when it pertains to what we are not to do, how we are not to worship God Almighty. Our worship is to be true. Our worship is to be Godward. Our worship is to be in line with God's prescription of worship. And that brings us to our second point, the do's of worship. The don'ts of worship, understand the N and the O, and now the do's of worship. Verse 5 begins, but you shall seek. Seek what? The Israelites were to seek God's will regarding how. He was to be worshipped. First, God's will was for the place of worship. The text tells us that, that God will establish a place that will bear his name. And the Israelites are to go there and worship at that place. Moses told them to destroy every vestige. Of Canaanite worship right down to the very inscriptions of the names of the false gods destroy it all here God says I will establish my place of worship and my name will be placed upon it that is where you are to worship what's in a name you've got to get this what's in a name A name denotes ownership. A name denotes authority. And this place that God is going to establish is a place that is going to show forth and demonstrate his ownership and his authority over the land and over his people. He and he alone is the one to whom the people worship. You may remember Abraham. Way back in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham was called, he was in Haran, he was called from Haran, and God said, Abraham, you and your family, Lot, and I'm going to bring you to the place I will show you. Abraham didn't know where he was going, and God was going to show him where to go. And God eventually brings A- Abraham what we know today as a promised land Canaan and not just a promised land Canaan but he brought him to Shechem in the middle of the promised land Canaan and there Abraham this foreigner that is at Shechem is completely surrounded by Canaanites completely surrounded by false worship completely surrounded by idolaters worshiping the false gods Abraham is in the middle of them he's surrounded by them and what does he do? Something that can easily be missed, but is ever so profound and so instructive for us today. Abraham built an altar in the middle of all of that pagan worship. Why did he do that? To worship the one true God. So that God may say and declare, this is mine. This land is mine. And Abraham and his descendants will be mine. This is a place where Yahweh will be worshipped. Very significant. Fast forward 850 years. The new generation, as we're studying here in Deuteronomy, is on the bank of the Jordan River, poised to go in. And in chapter 12, what are they instructed to do? To go in and destroy every vestibule of that Canaanite worship that surrounded Abraham 850 years earlier, that was still going on 850 years later. Destroy it, get rid of it, and you, my people, are going to erect the place of true worship that bears my name And just as was foretold with that little altar that Abraham built way back there in Genesis chapter 12, here in Deuteronomy chapter 12, God is saying one day there's going to be a place of worship that bears my name that is going to echo through the ages, mine. Second, God not only specified where he was to be worshiped, but he specified how he was to be worshiped. Look at verses 6 and 7, very detailed. Worship was prescribed, bring sacrifices, eat, rejoice, you and your household, a family coming before the Lord. We know in Leviticus that all of this is spelled out very, very clearly. Remember... Our our sermon series in the book of Leviticus, where we really studied the sacrificial system, God saying, this is how you are to approach me in worship. This is the way. And we looked at that. If you remember, every detail was taken care of. There was absolutely no room for innovation in worship if you followed the Levitical pattern. God was very specific, and he's very specific here that nothing is to be left to the imagination. And the core aspect of worship, not only in God establishing a place of worship, and by the way, that place is not named here, but we know that place is Jerusalem, and specifically the temple in, in Jerusalem. But yet, the core aspect dealing with not only the place, but also the how, the prescription, That the people are to follow in coming to worship is rooted in this basic core principle. God saying, Come before me as I prescribe. Come before me and worship in the way that I command you to worship. And this is enforced in verses 13 and 14, Deuteronomy 12 13 and 14. Take care that you do not offer your burnt offerings at any place that you see. But at the place that the Lord will choose in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings. And there you shall do all that I am commanding there. There you shall come before me. You're to to come before me at the place I designate. You're to come before me in the way I tell you to come before me. This is how true worship is to be. Offer worship to the triune God alone and offer worship as he prescribes. Now, this is reflected in what we know in Reformed and covenantal theology as the regulative principle of worship. If you would, if you're given to this, take your hymnal and I mean, what would you not be given to take your hymnal? Let me encourage you to take your hymnal and turn in the back to pages 860 and 861, and there you'll find the 21st chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith. This is about religious worship in the Sabbath day. We're not going to painstakingly go through this, though it would would be proper to do so, but we simply do not have the time. But I would heartily recommend to you that if you've not studied this lately, just study the 21st chapter of our confession dealing with worship. But I want to lay out before you just a couple of principles that we'll find in this part of our confession. First of all, that religious worship is to be given to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and to Him alone. And then secondly, that worship is to take place in an acceptable way that God has instituted and that God has limited limited by his revealed will it's limited by the bible in other words our confession says what this what is in the scriptures what is affirmed in the scriptures is right and what is not affirmed in the scriptures is wrong with respect to worship so we have elements in our worship today we've already gone through most of these elements And as we reflect upon how our worship service is put together, it's done so with intentionality to meet the core principle of the don'ts and do's that are given here in Deuteronomy and in other places of the Scripture to craft our service of worship in such a way that this core principle come before me as I prescribe is met. I want to be careful. Back when I was out of the office, we visited another evangelical church. Wonderful church, really appreciate that. But their worship was different. You're not going to see me, as far you know, unless you tie me down and make me do this uh, preaching on a Sunday morning in blue jeans and a sweater vest. I've always worn to preach in a sweater vest, but that's a that's not me as a preacher. B that's not our context here. But it was perfectly fine for that preacher in that church so i want to be careful that you understand i am not being judgmental about how any other church worships that's their business their responsibility my concern is on how we worship here at covenant and so i want to just to to go through our liturgy just very briefly and at least suggest some scriptures that support what we do now you'll notice that the life of the church and special announcements updating things like the missions conference with bulging eyes that that, <laughs> that, that is done before the invocation and call to worship and there's a reason for that <laughs> right even though it was worshipful in one sense what Bob and Tom did I'm halfway joking, but I'm also halfway not. I think we do need to separate announcements and those sorts of things from the body, from the liturgy of uh, worship. And we can appreciate and have fun and enjoy being together as a church family. But the invocation of call to worship signals we're coming before the one true God. So the call to worship, Psalm 100, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and with praise. Call to worship. Prayer, Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be, be made known to God. What a privilege it is for us in the context of worship to be led in prayer, submitting our requests to God. Hymns and songs. Man, was that anthem that the ensemble did, was it not absolutely Compelling. I mean, it was compelling. I'm glad they didn't do it before I preached because I might not have been able to preach. It was moving. Music is so powerful. Let the word of Christ, Colossians 3.16, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness and your hearts to God profession of faith said one this morning from Colossians chapter 1 Hebrews 10 23 let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful with one voice we're able to hold fast together on the hope that we have in Christ Jesus Confession of Sin and Assurance, Nehemiah 9, 2 through 3. Boy, that's a powerful chapter about confessing and then after confession, going to God's Word. Let me just read just a couple of verses. And the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of God, their God, for a quarter of the day, for another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. Confession and assurance. The reading of Scripture. Acts 15, 21. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. For he is read in in every Sabbath, on every Sabbath, in the synagogue. Preaching, 2 Timothy 4, 2. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reproof, Rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. The sacraments. Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I will be with you. 1 Corinthians 11, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The collection of offering. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Malachi 3.10. We also have occasional oaths and vows, Nehemiah 10 and Isaiah 19. Officers take vows, members take vows, parents take vows when their children are baptized. And then the benediction, number 623 through 24, I'll save this for the benediction. But, But our order, here's what I'm trying to communicate, that Derek and I just don't sit around and go, okay, what would be good to do in worship on Sunday? And just willy nilly come up with some order of service. You notice our order of service doesn't change drastically from one Sunday to the next. There's a reason for that. Because our heart is that we would worship the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the way that He has commanded us to worship, as affirmed in His Word. Corporate worship is to God alone. Corporate worship is to be according to God's will in the Scriptures. Thus, heeding the don'ts and the do's of worship is absolutely essential. Like growing in cultural intelligence, CQ, as we want to be sensitive to a culture, how much more should we grow in worship intelligence, WQ? Understanding the N and the O and being given to the dues that God has called us, how God has called us to worship, being limited by the dues of scripture. Worship does impact us. Worship does honor God, but worship also does something else as we worship faithfully, offering worship to God alone according to His prescription in His Word. This church in the middle of all kinds and types and varieties of false worship around is like a beachhead for God to say, all is mine worship ultimately is for the nations to see the power and glory of God and we have the privilege to be that beachhead here along with other faithful churches here in Little Rock our state and our country where God's people faithfully worshiping There, God says, it declares mine. Let's pray. Father, our worship is imperfect. We pray that you would continually guide us and direct us that more and more that we might grow in faithfulness in worshiping you and you alone. And that we would grow worshiping you as you have prescribed in your word. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.